I know that all of us, over the last number of months, have felt that the world is falling apart. We have the horrible death and destruction that the Russian-Ukraine war has brought to our world. We continually hear about men, women, and children who have been wounded or killed in mass shootings across the United States and overseas. We hear of millions of people starving to death because they are not food secure. They might get one meal a day. We hear of the violence of the huge drug cartels that have no respect for human life. We hear of the millions of children being sold into a life of sexual slavery. And now, in the last few days, we have not only heard about it, but also witnessed via video clips the horrors of innocent men, women, and children being killed and kidnapped by Hamas in Israel. The examples I have used are a very small portion of the evil that can be found in our world. The horrors of this evil can burden even the stoutest of hearts and bring about a sense of fear, disbelief, anger, and hopelessness. The horrors of this evil can cause us to ask questions like, where can I find comfort in times like these? Is there some purpose behind these events that I can't see? Does anyone besides me really care that the world is like this? As I've reflected on these things in my own life, and because I've had a number of you ask me some of those questions, I found great comfort in a biblical event that John records in his gospel. I want to, and I pray that I would be able to share that comfort with you this morning. John chapter 11, which you will find on 1,141 in the Pew Bible if you don't have a Bible. And so as you finish turning there, let's pray. Father God, thank you so very much for the love of this congregation and for how they take care of Kathy and I. Thank you for the 14 years that you have blessed us with here. Thank you for the sense of family, partnership. And Father, we are a church that deals with problems like every other church. But Father, we're also a church that loves each other. And we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that this morning as we look at John chapter 11, your name would be glorified and that we would be comforted. In Christ's name, amen. The most important theme in the entire universe is this, the glory of God. That's the most important theme in the entire universe. It is the underlying reason for all of God's works, from the creation of the world, to the redemption of fallen sinners, to the judgment of unbelievers, to the display of His greatness for all of eternity in heaven. It all focuses and revolves around the glory of God. But the most complete demonstration of God's glory came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. John writes also, when the Word became flesh, and that was Jesus Christ, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When we look at Jesus Christ, we see God in the flesh. When we read the Gospels and watch Him 
walk and live amongst us, we see what a righteous life is supposed to look like. What love for God is supposed to look like. What love for each other is supposed to look like. When we see Jesus Christ, we see the glory of God in flesh. And it's the most important revelation of the glory of God that we can come in contact with. John wrote one of the four Gospels. And in his Gospel, he recorded seven miraculous signs. Signs that helped prove who Jesus was, that He was the Messiah, that He was God incarnate. In chapter 11, we come to the most powerful of all those seven miracles. And it's actually the last one. It is the miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus four days after he died. As with all texts, we need to understand that the, this miracle's primary purpose was not to restore Lazarus to life or to comfort his grieving sisters. Those things happened, but it wasn't the primary purpose of why Jesus did it. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, first and foremost, so that he and his Father could be glorified, because as we go back, that is the ultimate point of life. And we see that, look at John chapter 11, verse 4. When Jesus heard it, that was that Lazarus was ill, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for what? The glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. We know the point of this passage. We also see that again reiterated in, down in verse 40. Chapter 11, verse 40. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would what? See the glory of God. And so as we come to this, we need to keep uh, this in the back of our minds. This is about God's glory. It's about God revealing who Jesus Christ is through this miracle. However, within this miracle, we can find much comfort in times of tragedy, just like Lazarus' sisters did. We can find comfort in our world, in a world that seems to be falling apart. We can find comfort in this event, in this story. Let me walk you through very quickly the story if you didn't have a chance to read it. In verses 1 through 4, Lazarus' sisters send Jesus a message that their brother is sick. And from the way that it's written, they fully expected him to come and help because Jesus was very, very close to this family. In fact, Lazarus is called the one that Jesus loved. In verses 5 through 16, Jesus is going to go, but he waits two days before he leaves. His disciples don't understand what is going on and really don't want Jesus to go back to Judea because they feel it would be dangerous for him. But Jesus knows that Lazarus has died or will die at some time in that, those two days that he waited. And then in verse 17 through 37, Jesus arrives during the normal lamenting period for a death in the family, and that was already in full swing. Both Mary and Martha, uh, Lazarus' sisters, were in mourning and were confused as why hadn't Jesus come to heal their brother? They knew that he could. They had seen his ministry. They knew that he loved them. Jesus loved them. And they couldn't understand why? Why did you not come and heal our brother? In verses 38 through 44, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. 
And then in verses 45 through 53, the Jewish religious leaders are concerned the people would follow Jesus instead of them, and they would lose their high position as the leaders within Israel. And then they plot from that time out to kill Jesus, to take him off the scene because he threatened them. In these verses, we find four truths about our Savior Jesus Christ that can bring us great comfort when life around us seems to be falling apart. And the first truth that we're reminded of is that God knows what will happen. God knows what would happen, what will happen. Throughout the Bible, we come face to face with this truth. God knows what will happen because He is sovereign, in control, and takes responsibility over every event that happens on earth. And let me show you just a couple of passages here that help us see this. Proverbs 16, 4. The Lord has made what? Everything. What does that include? Everything. Your reality. True? Would that include everything? Okay. For its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Who takes responsibility for the wickedness we see today? Say it. God. Ecclesiastes 7.14, In the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider. God has made one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In prosperity, we are to be joyful. In the day of adversity, we are supposed to understand what? God brought that into our lives also. Isaiah 45, 7, I form the light. This is God speaking. I form the light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Period. No caveats. No, I didn't really understand what was going on over here. He says, I am the Lord who does all these things. I make well-being and I bring calamity. I do all these things. Lamentations 3, who has spoken and it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? What is God taking responsibility for? Good and bad. Amos 3, 6, is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Does God know what's going on in Israel and all the nations that are surrounding Israel? Does God know what's going on between Russia and Ukraine? And what does he claim here? I have what? Done it. Job 12, 23. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. Even though these verses bring great comfort in times of tragedy, knowing that God is in control and life is just not a bunch of random events, our passage this morning brings even a deeper comfort than we find in these verses because we come face to face with the wonderful truth that Jesus Christ, our Savior, is God. We have to understand something. The idea of the, the event here of Lazarus being raised from the dead helps is one of the greatest uh, helps in us understanding that Jesus Christ is God. All those things that refer to God, taking responsibility, all those things where God says, I create calamity and I create good, all those things God says, who is included in the idea of God? Jesus Christ, because He is the second person of the Trinity, and we got to behold His glory in incarnate flesh. 
He, like his father, knew exactly what was going to happen with Lazarus. Is God taking responsibility? Yes. But did God know what was going to happen with Lazarus because he's a sovereign and in control of everything? Absolutely. But who also knew that? Jesus Christ. And you want to know, we see that here in this passage. Uh, I want everybody to look in, the, in your Bible at verse 4, chapter 11, verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. What did Jesus already know here? Lazarus wasn't going to stay dead. We know that Lazarus died later on, but he says, he says here, it is, uh, does not lead to death because he already knew what? He was going to raise him from the dead. And then look at verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And then his disciples are kind of dense at this point in time. They're going like, what are you talking about? He'll wake up. But then Jesus tells them plainly, look at verses 14 through 15. Jesus clears it up. He says, then, uh, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, but that you may believe, but let us go to him. How did, La- how did he know Lazarus died? He's, he's, he's far away right now. He hasn't even really begun the journey yet. He waited two days. He says, this is not going to end up in death. We don't understand that yet. The disciples didn't understand that yet. Mary and Martha didn't understand that yet, but who knew it? Jesus. And he says there, he says, Lazarus has died. He didn't get a text or an email. Oh, your friend Lazarus. He knew. He knew beforehand. Look at verse 23. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, this is Mary, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother, what? Will rise again. Had he risen yet? No. Hasn't happened yet. And what we see here is that that this event, this raising of Lazarus from the dead, helps us see that Jesus Christ is God because he is doing things that only God can do. He knows what the future holds, only like God can know what the future holds. Jesus Christ, in whom the fullness of deity exists, plainly reveals he knew that there was a bigger purpose behind Lazarus' death, and it was his glory and the Father's glory even before it happened. Lazarus' sisters didn't understand. They were grieving the loss of their beloved brother. They couldn't grasp why Jesus would let their brother die when they knew that he could save them, save him. But their grief turned to rejoicing when they saw the fulfillment of Jesus' plan unfold before their eyes when he brought their brother back to life. In these unsettled times, we find great comfort in these verses because we know that we will also rejoice one day when we see God's plan for these turbulent times unfold before our very eyes. We don't know that now. We are sitting in the same place that Mary and Martha sat. They didn't know. They were grieving for their brother. They didn't understand why Jesus didn't do this. His disciples didn't understand why Jesus wanted to go back to Judea. And what we see is that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew what he was going to do. He knew that Lazarus would live again. He knew that he would not be killed in Judea. He knew. And we can find great comfort when we, in this story because when we don't know like they didn't know, 
Jesus Christ is alive and he does know. Just like he did then. What we understand is that there's a plan that includes our salvation and the honor and glory of Jesus Christ and of God in the future. However, even though this truth that Jesus Christ knows what's going to happen brings us great comfort, one question often comes to our mind. This is an important question. Does God really care about us? Or does he just impassionately watch his plan unfold, knowing that one day we will understand and one day we will rejoice? Does God, even, even does he care that we hurt and that we grieve and that we are scared? Does he, does he care or does he just say, hey, it'll work out. I know it's going to work out. I have my plan. Does he care about our grief and broken hearts over the evil that is in this world? We find the answer to these questions in one of the most poignant passages in the whole Bible. And this one passage reveals that our Savior profoundly cares for us. Amen? Our Savior. And this here, this one passage, if there was no other passage, just settles the question. Does He care? And this one passage says, absolutely This is the second truth about our Savior Jesus Christ that brings us comfort while we live in turbulent times. Follow along at verses 30, starting in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Did Jesus care? He was what? Deeply moved and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And what happened? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus knew the end of the story. He knew Lazarus would be returned to his sisters. He knew there would be great joy and rejoicing, but he still entered their grief and experienced it firsthand. He shared the grief of Mary and Martha. Jesus wasn't just a stoic observer of his plan as it unfolded. He didn't even have a wry smile on his face because he knew the secret. Sometimes when we have a secret and we know it's going to be revealed soon to everybody else, we kind of get that, I know it's going to happen. Have you ever done that in a birthday party or something? You knew there was going to be this big reveal, right? And you had the inside information and you kind of get that little quirky smile like i know what's going to happen here jesus didn't even do that he wept he wept this leads us to another question why did jesus weep why did the death of his friend whom he knew would breathe again very soon still bring tears In contrast to the loud wailing implied by the Greek used for the tears shed by Mary and Martha, and we see that both of them, we know that they shed tears, and uh, the wailing of the the, uh, group that went with them, that was part of the Jewish custom that they would have wailers, and there was a loud wailing, a, a, a large commotion that would go around this. And when he talks, when 
John records what Jesus did in his weeping. It's not that word. It's a different word for tears in the Greek, and it implies a silent bursting into tears. Jesus' tears were generated by his love for Lazarus and by his grief over the deadly and incessant effects of sin on a fallen world. He is looking out across the world and he's going, this is my creation that has been destroyed by sin. And look at the death and destruction that it brings. Look at what it has done to this family. Look at what it has done to Lazarus, uh, one of the people I love most in the world. And he weeps over it because he sees what sin did and does to the world. Jesus' tears reveal his humanity as much as we see his knowing what would happen revealed his deity. He was truly a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief that we find in Isaiah 53. The Jews were correct in seeing Jesus' sorrow as evidence that he loved Lazarus, but they were wrong to think that his tears reflected the same hopelessness and despair that they felt. His tears were not of despair, but of love for those he deeply cared for and that had felt the devastating effects of sin in the world. That's why Jesus wept. He felt the devastating effects of sin in the world. He was human, just like us, that he had feelings. One author put it this way, In our mortality, the dire consequences of our first parents' sin the pain of separation from loved ones and the momentary victory of the prince of darkness are personally, visibly, and sometimes violently displayed. Jesus knows that something truly tragic has happened and he weeps. And he weeps. What comfort we find in Jesus' tears because it affirms us that it is okay for us to shed tears over tragedy. Amen? We don't have to be stoic. We don't have to stuff it down. We can shed tears when we see the death and destruction that sin brings into the world. We can shed tears over what is happening in Israel and what is happening in uh, Russia. We can shed tears when we think about all the, the child abuse that is happening. It's okay to shed tears because we understand it's because of sin. It's okay for us to share tears even though we know that Jesus Christ, when He comes back, will make all things new. We can still shed tears today. I want you to listen to what Brian Chapel sums up about these two truths. The tears Jesus sheds in the face of death gives us permission both to dry our tears and to shed them. We dry our tears with the comfort of knowing that our God is, our, that knowing that our God knows what will happen. For this reason, Christians fear the tragedy of death less keenly than others because God already knows the future and has provided for our good and His glory is in it. At the same time, Christians feel death more deeply because we know that it signifies the corruption of our world so deep that even the King of creation when witnessing its devastating effects, cried and eventually died to fix it. The third truth that brings comfort in this, in this idea of 
a tragic world is our Savior's triumph may take time. How many of us are patient? How many of us in tragedy want God to take His time? How many of us really get upset at God when He does take His time? How many people have walked away from God and said, I will not serve a God who takes His time? But we have to understand, our Savior, triumph, may take some time. Look at verse 3. So the sisters sent to Him, saying, Lord, He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, He said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may glorify it. Now Jesus loved Martha and his, his sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed, what? Two days longer. He delayed. He delayed. Was Jesus going to be triumphal in this situation? Yes. But he waited. Let's take a look at verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So how long was the hole delayed four days. Not only had he died, but he had to be prepared for the burial, and that took some time, and then he had already been in a sealed tomb for four days. He delayed. He delayed. We are not sure why Jesus was so specific in his time frame, but many believe that Jesus wanted to make sure that there would be no doubt that Lazarus was dead. Some of his enemy could have said, well, Lazarus never really died. He just passed out or he was just very ill. And so when Jesus really didn't raise him from the dead, he just was there when Lazarus started getting better. But Jesus didn't want that, is what many think. And so he made sure that Lazarus was in the tomb for how long? Four days. Four days. Jesus' delay exasperated those who loved him so dearly. Look at verse 21. Look at verse 21. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What did she know? Absolutely. Jesus Christ could have healed him. Look at verse 32. Now when Mary came, so that was Martha, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, what? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Both sisters were in agreement. Jesus, you should have been here. You could have what? Stop this. His delay exasperated them. And as I said before, they couldn't understand why Jesus would wait to come. They had faith he could heal Lazarus. They knew he could, but he waited. And that delay brought them much pain and suffering. Think of the pain and suffering that would have been in those two women's lives when they know that the absolute cure for their brother could come from a man that said he loved their brother. And he waited. You think there might have been a little bit of anger there? A little bit of disappointment. Lord, if you had been here, this would not have happened. 
They didn't understand. They didn't understand. All they saw was that his delay brought pain and suffering and loss. We are often in the same place of Mary and Martha. We see the devastation that war brings to so many people. We cringe when we hear of the children being trafficked for sex. We cry out to God in prayer when we watch a loved one racked in pain just before they die, asking, Lord God, why are you waiting to take them home? Take them now, and God does not. But we can learn from Mary and Martha. We can learn from their exasperation. They didn't understand why Jesus waited, but then they did understand in a moment, didn't they? They crossed that line. I don't understand. And with just a few words, when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, the line was crossed, and they understood. Sometimes we forget that we will ultimately all cross that line and understand why Jesus why God did what He did in His time. They came to understand in that moment that in Jesus' timing, Lazarus' resurrection was much more glorious than the simple healing they were looking for. Think about that. They were looking for Him just to do a simple healing. They knew He could do that. But what did they get to see? The glorious resurrection from the dead of their brother. You think that was much more glorious than just a simple healing? Can you imagine burying a loved one for four days? Imagine when Jesus says, open the tomb, and they're looking at him and going, are you sure? We sign that in the text. Are you sure? Lord, he has been dead four days. What did they know? You don't want to be around a dead body that's been dead for four days. And Jesus says, open the tomb. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. Do we grasp what would happen there? Immediately. There was no hour of recreating recreating a, a dead body or to put everything back in place. Immediately, rottenness became true life again. And Lazarus came forward. And Mary and Martha are looking, saying what? I can't believe he did that. They were able to praise God even more. They came to love Jesus even more. And they learned that with Jesus, nothing is impossible. Just the same way we will. When God does things in our lives that reveal what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. In His time, we get to watch tragedy unfold into glorious praise and rejoicing for God because He does things on a much greater scale than we can ever imagine. We don't know what's going to happen in the world that's falling apart. We don't know when God is going to change it or if He even will before He comes back. But what do we know? One day we will rejoice in heaven with our heavenly Father because we will see why Israel is going through what Israel is going through. We will understand why Russia invaded Ukraine. We will understand all this tragedy and we will see it in a light that we can't even imagine just like Martha and Mary 
saw their brother's death in a light that they could not even have imagined. And does this bring us comfort? Does that assurance bring us comfort? Absolutely. Our Savior's triumph may take time, but it will surely come. Our Savior's triumph will surely come. Jesus had no doubt he would be able to raise Lazarus from the dead, but no one else expected a man wrapped in burial clothes for four days would walk out of the tomb. But Jesus knew he would be triumphant over death that day, standing in front of the tomb. We can be sure Jesus will also be triumphant over the greatest tragedy that anyone has ever experienced on earth, our death. We know because of Lazarus' resurrection that Jesus can also raise us to new life. But the new life that Jesus will raise us to is different than the new life that he will raise Lazarus to. You know what the difference is? What did Lazarus have to expect again? Death. How many of you would like to die twice? Have you ever thought about that? He was going to have to go through the whole death process again, whether that was instantaneous or it was because he got sick again or whatever. He had to go through it again. But we won't have to. When Jesus comes back, and if we have already uh, passed away, uh, we will rise to meet Him in the air, and we will never have to die again. And if we are not dead when Jesus Christ comes back, if this is the beginning of the end that we see our world going through, then when Jesus comes back and the dead in Christ will rise, who will go and meet them? We will. We don't have to like the tragedy. We can shed tears over what's going on in our lives. We can shed tears over the evil that is in the world and evil that affects our lives so severely. But we don't have to be, have hopelessness. We don't have to live with fear because we know that God is in control. And we see that through His Son, Jesus Christ, in this event of raising Lazarus from the dead. There is great comfort living in times of great tragedy knowing that Jesus has defeated death and is alive and has promised to return to those who believe in Him. And let me just give you a few passages here to reflect on. What's it say? Let not your heart be troubled. So what does that mean? I'll put it in our vernacular today. Chill. All right? Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is Jesus Christ. If my Father's house, in my Father's house, are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Is that a promise? Amen? I am. And you are going to be with Jesus for all of eternity. And he has made that promise that he will come back. And will he make sure that happens? Yes. And he will make sure that has, will happen just like he made sure that Lazarus would rise from the dead to bring his father glory. John 6. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that be God the Father, that I should not lose that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Who's that promise to? Us. The tragedies that are going on in the world will not overwhelm us. They will not win. We will rise again. John 11. This is our passage this morning. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. That is who I am. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Did they understand this? (laughs) Who are they looking at? Lazarus, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks the question, do you believe this? And that question is also for us. Do you believe this? I'm going to ask it again. Do you believe this? Because if you believe it, then we have a whole different perspective on the tragedies that are happening in this world. We grieve over them, we shed tears over them, but we know they will not defeat us. They know, we know that God is in control and that God will be glorified through them even though we cannot even comprehend how. Do you believe this? Because if you do, you will live differently. We know that Jesus can keep these promises because he triumphantly raised Lazarus from the grave. And then in just a few weeks later, he triumphantly defeated death himself for all of eternity when he himself again rose from the dead. This is a precursor. Lazarus was a precursor. Lazarus was raised. Lazarus is going to die again. Just a few weeks later, Jesus was killed. Jesus died. He was placed in a tomb similar to Lazarus. And he rose again, never to die again. And we get to follow him in that because we are saved by faith in him. Our Savior's triumph will surely come at the proper time, at a time that will bring Jesus and His Father the most glory possible, and at a time that we will be able to rejoice beyond what we could ever have rejoiced, because we will know what His plan was. From our vantage point 2,000 years later, we see how God turned the tragedy of Lazarus into His glory and great rejoicing. What a great comfort that brings to us when we look at the world and know that in the same way, God will take all the tragedy we see and turn it into rejoicing and His glory. From our vantage point 2,000 years later, we see how Jesus' delay in coming to, save, uh, to see Lazarus prove that He was and is God in the flesh because He knew the future and only God knows the future from our vantage point 2,000 years later we know Jesus is the resurrection and the life because he proved he has the power over the most tragic event anyone can experience here on earth death from our vantage point 2,000 years later we know that even though we must wait as Lazarus sisters did we will also experience a great day of rejoicing when God in his perfect timing will show us His plan, bring us to Himself, 
and we will understand. From our vantage point 2,000 years later, we know how to answer the questions we started with. Where can I find comfort in times like these? Where can you find comfort in times like this? We find comfort in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, brought, out, brought joy out of a death of a man he cared very deeply about. Because he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, he will do the same with the tragedy that we see every day. Is there some purpose behind these events that I can't see? Another question that is so often asked. Yes, there is. We know that for a fact. The most important purpose in the universe to bring glory to God is the answer to that. Is there a purpose? Yes, to bring God glory. It is the underlying reason for all of God's works from creation to redemption to the time when He brings us to see Him. And the last question, does anyone besides me really care that the world is like this? Is there real care? Does somebody else really deeply care? And we say, yes, we know that God cares because of Jesus' tears. We know that God understands the grief that we experience. We know that He cares in a ways that we can't even comprehend. Imagine the tears that we shed because of the tragedies we experience in this life and the deep despair and the hurt that we feel. But now, if it's even possible, can you imagine the greatness of the weight that Jesus felt in His perfectness to be brought to tears over the tragedy of sin? Think about that. Think about the weight. Think about what he knows about sin. Think about what he knows about tragedy and death that we can't even comprehend. We have a high priest. We have a Savior who can definitely relate to us, can't we? It's hard to keep looking up when the world seems as if it's falling apart. But we just have to come to the conclusion. We have to come to this truth. Looking up is the only place we will ever find comfort in this world. There is nothing that will bring us comfort on the face of this planet. There is nothing that will give us hope on the face of this planet. There is nothing that will remove the tragedy or turn the tragedy into rejoicing on this planet. It is only through our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us so we could understand that He is God and He saved us from the sin that causes the tragedy. There are many who live in fear every day. We are different. We don't live in the fear of the tragedy. We don't live in a hopelessness like the rest of the world does. Because we know who Jesus Christ is and we know what He did in this event. But when you walk out that door, think of a teenager who is starting to wake up to the realities of the world and see the video clips, something that 
I never saw when I was growing up. I would hear about it. I would hear about the death and destruction. But some of our teens and some of our young people are actually watching it happen on a video clip. Watching as a soldier walks up to a car and shoots the occupants. Think about the fear. Think about the uncertainty. Think about the questions that this teenager has. Why is this happening? Think about a grandmother, a grandfather who just finds out their child, their grandchild is missing and has been stolen. And they've read the papers. They don't know where he's at or she's at. They don't know what's going to happen, but they understand what could happen. Think of the tragedy. Think of the pain. Think of the horror that is in their heart not knowing what happened to their grandchild. And they have no place to look. There's no place for hope. There's no Savior in their life. There is no Jesus Christ in their life. Think of what they're feeling. We have the answer for them. We have the ability to show them where they can find comfort, even in those dire circumstances. It doesn't make the pain go away. It doesn't stop to tears. But it does bring hope that there is somebody in charge and that he will right all wrongs and that he can even raise people from the dead anytime he pleases. We don't have to fear the tragedies going on in this world today. We need to let them break our hearts. We don't want to be stoic. We want to emote in a right and proper way. We want to let our feelings and our, our, uh, to lead us into desperate prayer. Lord God, please be with these people. But we also want to know or do know that we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who showed Himself as God in the flesh who has the power to correct it all with just a word like he did when he said, Lazarus, come forth. So let's go out into the world. Let's show them that we care. Let's show them that we have tears over loss and pain and death. But let's also let them see that we do not have a hopelessness like they do. That we have Jesus Christ. And let's introduce them to the one person who can bring comfort in this very tragic world. I hope this morning has brought you some comfort. I hope it has helped all of us to refocus and not lose sight of the fact that we have a Savior who is sitting at the right hand of the Father who one day will come back and receive us to himself and will have the answers to all of our questions about this tragic world. Let's rejoice in that at least this morning. Let's find comfort in that. Please bow your heads.